What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet today. Today is Monday, January 17th, 2022. I am your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, how's it going? Maddie, every Monday is a blessing. Remember that. <laughs> and every Monday episode is a blessing for the listeners. I'm still getting used to saying Monday in the <laughs> intro, but yeah, other than that, happy to be here. It's definitely weird to hear you say it, but it, I'm going to I'm going to assume that I'm, I'll just get used to it. So listen, if we got used to hearing our own voices on the podcast, we can definitely get used to hearing <laughs> me say Monday. I'm convinced that like I'm superhuman because I listen to my my voice every single week on this podcast. Yeah. And like we don't hate it yet. I, I, th- I thought that I would hate <laughs> my voice more, but you know what? I've grown to grown to love it. Maybe it's Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> If you as a listener have a case of the Mondays, we hope that this episode fixes that for you. So let's kick it off. Welcome to the planet today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way on Monday and Friday. This show is your one-stop shop for all things environmental, whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics. TPT has a little bit for everyone, so we're happy to have you as a listener. Again, we say it every episode before we get started. Please go smash that five-star rating button on Spotify. It's new. It matters. Five stars on Spotify. Yes, and do it on Apple, too. The best way that you can help us out is to give us that rating and review wherever you can. That and sharing the show with your friends helps us more than you might realize. Maddie, are we ready to talk about some renewables? Absolutely. Let's get into it. The International Energy Agency released its Renewables 2021 report at the end of December, which showed renewable energy having another strong year in 2021. And just as a heads up, the data isn't finalized, so we're going to be using on pace or is set to a lot during this conversation when discussing 2021. Even though 2021 is already over, that's why we're saying, you know, it's set to look like this. Yeah, and we're also going to be talking a lot about gigawatts here. So just for reference, one gigawatt is enough to power between 200,000 to 1 million homes. It's a huge range because it varies from place to place. So just know that one gigawatt, when we say that, it makes a huge impact. Yeah, you don't have to know the exact size behind it to hear, wow, that's a lot of gigawatts. So that's what we're going (laughs) for here. (laughs) All right. Almost 290 gigawatts of new renewable energy led by solar photovoltaic was commissioned last year. 2020 saw significant growth and 2021's growth was 3% higher than that. Wow. So we're heading in the right direction then. Exactly. And to get into specifics, solar accounted for more than half of the new renewable energy last year and wind and hydropower also saw increases. Despite the prices of a lot of things that go into generating solar energy, so we're talking about your shipping, your steel, parts, etc., making solar more expensive for manufacturers, 
a new annual record for solar installation is on pace to be set with 160 gigawatts of new solar in 2021. Yeah, and solar is projected to keep increasing over the next five years to at least 325 gigawatts under conservative projections. Yeah, so they ran a couple different models throughout this, and like their lower end is looking like 325 gigs. So, yeah, aggressive projections could see it up to 450 gigawatts of solar across the world by 2026. And look, you know I'm going to say be as aggressive as possible with ramping up green energy. As for onshore wind, let's take a step back. Global onshore wind doubled over 2020, reaching almost 110 gigawatts across the world. And China was one of the main players here, which is now two years ago, which is wild to think about. But developers were rushing to finish wind installations before the Chinese government's incentives expired. Yeah. And for 2021, wind is not expected to match the 2020 numbers, but it still saw steady increases. The IEA estimates that onshore wind will increase by 75 gigawatts per year by 2026. Yeah, and that's not so much as a slow in pace as it is, you know, just the policy incentives that made people want to get more wind out there. We're going to expire. So that's not anything to really be concerned about. Like, oh, how come we installed less wind? It's, It's just a policy decision. Offshore wind, on the other hand, saw a big boom last year, which is projected to increase. Over the next five years, offshore wind is projected to triple by 2026, and that's going to account for over 20% of the global wind market, if this is true, which is huge. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. And, And global wind capacity of offshore wind is projected to be 21 gigawatts by 2026, led by the U.S., Chinese Taipei, Korea, Vietnam, and Japan. Yeah, and... Also, there were some big implications for biofuels that came from Asia with this report. So India and Indonesia are leading a charge to overtake Europe as the world leader in biofuel demand. Asia accounts for almost 30% of new biofuel production, and it's set to overtake Europe by 2026. By that time, India will become the third largest market for ethanol demand in the world. Yeah, and biofuels rely on about 2 to 3% of the global water and land used for agriculture, which could feed almost 30% of the malnourished population, which is crazy. Yeah, and that's really interesting to think about because, sure, by definition, biofuels are renewable, right? Like you can always produce more corn and that's going to go into your ethanol. But when you think about the land use and how much land and how much water it's going to take to actually produce them, renewable and green might not mean the same thing to me. So I I have a hard time lumping that in with your solars and your winds. Right. But that's not to say like, it's definitely better than coal. It's definitely better than natural gas. It's better than cutting down forests and using that sort of biofuel. But yeah, ethanol is one that I, I always find interesting to talk about there. But let's jump into talking about the cost of producing renewables that they brought up in this report. So The cost of solar and wind both increased because the components used to create them all increased in price. So let's break that down a little bit. The cost of solar photovoltaic grade polysilicon more than quadrupled. Steel increased by 50%, aluminum increased by 80%, and copper increased by 60%. Yeah, and shipping didn't help either. We always talk about transportation on this podcast, but with freight fees up six times what they were at the start of 2020. Yeah. And, you know, you pair that with trade restrictions between the U.S., India and the EU leading to further price increases for international renewable manufacturing. And we have this 
perfect storm of expenses rising across the board. Yeah, and I mean, the price increases are putting three years of cost reductions for solar and then five years of reductions for wind to be basically erased. Yeah, and that sucks especially because, you know, this is an industry that's still fighting the old, oh, but it's so expensive upfront stigma despite consistent cost reductions. So yeah, yeah that's that's a, a tough one. But, you know, on the other hand, higher natural gas and coal prices are keeping wind and solar competitive. So those prices are actually higher because governments have fixed price incentives for solar and wind. So the rising costs are actually hurting fossil fuels more, which I don't know, I guess it's a silver lining here. Yeah. I mean, this all comes down to like the very basics of like finance, which is like short term costs and long term. And it's just like going with the alternatives um, from gas and coal are just going to be so much more cost efficient, you know, down the line. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because like, you know, we mentioned three years for solar, five years for wind, where it's consistently getting cheaper and cheaper on a per watt basis, which is what you're going to measure your energy with solar and wind are cheaper than producing with natural gas or producing with coal. The issue that we're running into is like, we have the infrastructure readily available to say, Hey, let's get more gas. Hey, let's get more coal. Like we don't need to do any sort of upgrading the grid to get our energy that way. And that's not unique to the US. I mean, the world is more equipped to handle coal and gas because it's been here longer than wind and solar. But that's where we get into, you know, those emerging economies, your developing nations where they can leapfrog a bit of the gas and coal boom that we experienced and get straight into renewables. So yeah, the, the stigma is tough to break here, but then in other areas of the world, you don't really need to even worry about that stigma because if we can help finance and provide technology, we can really make a difference for the developing world. Yeah, and this kind of goes into what you've brought up on this show about like nations being able to skip you know, the classic house phone or, or whatever and just go straight to cell phones because they're more efficient and more useful. Like, Yeah, it's a good point. But yeah, I don't know. That's That's where we're at for this so far. Uh, Nick, do you want to take a quick break? Matt, that sounds like a terrific idea. All right. When we get back, we're going to talk about how this relates to COP26, some policy implications, and how this all relates to, hey, are we going to get to net zero or what? thinking a lot about you know how I want to start off this next part of the conversation and renewable energy is something that really gets my personal energy up. Yeah, totally. And something else that really gets my energy up, surprisingly, is every time my nose starts to run because it's nine degrees outside and then I walk inside and my nose is like, hey, you're in a 70 degree apartment. Let's run, baby. <laughs> and it's the feeling of grabbing the Vala Alta from my pocket typically my breast pocket and my jacket and applying the soft, soft linen to my nose. You know, it's softer than tissues and a lot of people will tell you different, but they're just wrong. Yeah. Wash it once. Like the first time you use it, maybe, but the more you break it in, it's just, Oh, are we supposed to do an ad read? (laughs) 
We were just talking about our love for Valo Alta's everyday handkerchief, but it's a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A.co and code TPT. Instead of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, it's Honey, I'm Stuck in an Ad Read because I love my Vala Alta so much. <laughs> the planet today and we are going to get right back into this so the cop 26 targets while underwhelming were still considered ambitious by the iea and basically that's because if achieved the goals would put us in a good position to reach net zero by 2050 now when i say underwhelming that's because those goals really left a lot of the how do we get there parts that are critical for achieving any goals like it's january I know if you're listening, you either have or know someone with a New Year's resolution. And for your buddy that's like, I am going to lose 10 pounds this year, but they don't tell you how. And you don't know if it's diet or exercise or just sheer willpower and determination to make your body sweat more to drop that 10 pounds. Like You don't know how they're going to get there. And this is the same scenario where we have these goals of here's where we're going to get to by when without the... By 2025, we're going to do this. And by 2030, we're going to do this. So it's those short-term intermediate steps that make a huge difference here. That's why we felt that it was a little underwhelming. Yeah, and the IEA also cited stronger policy support as a reason for why renewable energy capacity is projected to increase over the next five years, which they say will almost be 95% of the increase in global power capacity by 2026. So not only are renewables on pace to increase, but fossil fuels are only expected to be 5% of the global energy additions by 2026. Yeah, which is good and bad, right? Like ideally, fossil fuels would account for 0% of new energy additions, but the increase compared to the increase in renewables is almost negligible. The caveat here is that, you know, as we talked about on Friday, fossil fuel companies have way too much say in policy decisions. So I don't know. I mean, it's expected to only be five, but there's always that chance that it's more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, on on new stuff that comes out, if they're going to continue to have a seat at the table like we talked about on on Friday, then shit. I mean, we we could be in the same position, you know, but yeah. And, you know, we keep mentioning that they have a seat at the table. One of my favorite games when we were younger, musical chairs. And what's the important part of musical chairs? There is one less seat than players. Let's start playing musical chairs with the fossil fuel companies making our policy decisions. Just start ripping those chairs out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Right before they sit down, pull the chair out. Basically a tabletop. (laughs) Um, Some good news from the report, though, is renewable electricity across the world is set to increase by over 60% by 2026, reaching over 4,800 gigawatts. And this is how much power the world currently gets from fossil fuels and nuclear combined. Yeah, and that's super encouraging. Like, unfortunately, global demand for energy seems to keep increasing, and it's going to keep increasing. 
I, I guess I shouldn't say unfortunately there because it's good when developing countries can grow, but energy demand when met with fossil fuels is bad. So it's good to see that this much renewable energy is going to enter the system. China is on pace to be the world leader for the next five years, making up 43% of global renewable growth. And China, Europe, the US, and India make up 80% of renewable capacity expansion. Yeah, and we can look at that two ways too. There's a lot of other countries out there that can use some help in their renewable sector. So it's tough that three countries and then one block of countries make up 80% of the world's energy. But also, they probably account for that much of the world's energy consumption. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, another interesting thing about China and the EU is they're both on set to surpass their renewable energy targets. And that's another thing which we could take one of two ways. So, you know, option one, they slow up and they hit those goals at their target date. Or option two, they hit those goals early and keep moving forward. So let's hope for option two. And let's talk some more about policies across the world. Currently, renewables are only making up 11% of what governments are spending on clean energy, which works out to be about 42 billion US dollars spent by governments across the world. More spending by governments could prepare up to $400 billion worth of renewable investments. With the right policies in place, almost 400 gigawatts of projects, which would mostly be solar and wind, could be established. Wow. Yeah, it's substantial, and that's why policy is super important for this. But in talking about that, there's four barriers to ramping up renewables that the reports point out. So the first one is in advanced economies, so your industrialized nations, government auctions allow for a certain capacity of energy, and the permitting that's required and the grid integration for an already developed grid that relies on fossil fuels that's led to solar and wind projects to be lower than the possible capacity. But in developing countries, it's a little bit different. So for them, it's more of the lack of grid availability. That's the bigger issue. The third barrier is that some countries do not have the policy support that's required for a quick shift to renewables. And the final one is a lack of social acceptance is causing an issue in certain countries. So Look, I mean, it's no surprise here that I'm going to say the U.S. has a problem in certain aspects where some people just don't want to transition. And they're very against. I mean, what with last week we talked about the fisheries in New England and the climate deniers in Texas moving together. And that's just that social acceptance where those are two groups who don't want to see it. And they're going to put all their resource into making sure it doesn't happen. That's not unique to the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just it's the same thing. It's like, you know, people will do pretty much whatever it is in order to keep what it is that's making them money, you know, intact. And so for in in our case last week, Joe Manchin is is going to do and say whatever it is in order to increase the misinformation spread, you know, that that's going on about this issue. Yeah. And the report ran some models, too, and found that if governments can address those challenges in the next one to two years, 380 gigawatts of of renewables per year can be added to the world by 2026. So, look, I I know people hate politics and I get it, but policy really is so important for things like this. Another thing that can be really impacted by policies is biofuel demand. It's actually projected to double 
if policies are put in place to address the costs, limitations, and sustainability of biofuel crops. Yeah, and policies like that are being considered in the U.S., European Union, China, India, and several other countries as well. But let's get into the tough part of the report. The forecasts show that we need to still produce even more renewables to reach net zero by 2050. Yeah, so this was very eye-opening for me because despite another strong year for renewables and a strong forecast for the next half a decade, the IEA's net zero emissions by 2050 are 80% higher than their main case model. So basically, renewables are growing, which lowers emissions, but our energy consumption globally is still growing at a high enough rate where renewables can't close that gap on their own. So for solar and wind, we would need to roughly double what the forecast estimates will be added by 2026 to reach net zero. Biofuel demands would need to quadruple. And with biofuels, it's important that policies are put in place to make sure that the biofuels are sustainable and not actually making things worse. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you talked before about water use and land use, and we need to make sure that that's considered before diving into biofuels anywhere in the world. Exactly. Yeah, and unregulated biofuels can leave room for a loss in biodiversity, harm to freshwater systems, habitat degradation, increased food prices because of the land use, and decreased food availability because of the land use. So, like we said, making sure that biofuels are grown the right way is really important for something like this. Yeah, and like I said before, like 30%, it could feed 30% of the malnourished. Like, that's insane. Yeah, I agree. And look, the main point that they end off with for me is that renewables are making a really big difference for us. And they're projected to keep making more of a difference over the next several years. But governments also need to incentivize greenhouse gas emissions reductions if we want to reach net zero. I feel like we say this all the time about our own consumption, but reductions number one. So the best way to use less plastic is to reduce how much plastic you buy. And I feel like that same analogy can be said about energy. The best way for a country to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions is to reduce its consumption. From there, what we are consuming should be from renewables, or in that plastic case that I mentioned, reused. But number one has to be reducing output, and that's where government policies are so important, because we're talking about big corporations emitting less, and using more renewables provides a great avenue for reducing consumption. Yeah, I mean, we talk about it all the time on this show, but, you know, policy, especially on this episode, policy is a super important part of getting our carbon footprint to be lessened. And it's kind of the only path towards renewables. Yeah. And, you know, when I say, I want to just make this clear, we talk about it a lot, but it's worth repeating. When we talk about big corporations emitting less and using more renewables, again, that's not to say what you're doing on your own isn't worth it. So, keep up whatever individual things you're doing to be more sustainable and don't feel like turning off your lights when you leave a room or shutting off your water while you're brushing your teeth. Like don't feel like those are insignificant because if everyone does it, it makes a difference, but not enough. It doesn't make enough of a difference if we all do that compared to huge corporations just like flying around to ship packages wherever. Like that's what we need to curb in. So Keep doing what you're doing, but keep up the pressure. Exactly. Put the pressure on the lawmakers. Yeah, they work for us. So, all right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. We will be back on Friday for our weekly quick hits episode. 
Yeah, and if you like the show, please give us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And if you didn't like the show, give us a five-star rating anyway. We'd also love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. For The Planet Today, I'm Nick Janusa. And I'm Matt Norton. Thanks for tuning in. See you right here on Friday. Peace.